Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Kravitz Podcast. Welcome all to the Brandon Kravitz Podcast. The very first of what will be weekly installments right here. Found on iTunes. Found on iHeartRadio as well. I appreciate everybody who chimed in and voted on the Twitter poll I put out there about a week ago. Hey, should I even start a podcast? Because let, let's face it, who doesn't have a podcast these days? And do you really need to hear my voice any more than you already do? Well, 63% of you said that you do. So I went ahead and I listened to you guys, and I appreciate that immensely. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Kravitz, and follow along with uh, the latest posts, as well as everything that goes on in my mind throughout the course of the week. I'm not going to inundate you guys with every little detail about what's going to be on this podcast. It's pretty simple. What's going to be on this podcast is what I find interesting. And I think that there are a lot of people out there, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this, is that there are a lot of people out there that share in my interests, whether it be in the fantasy football world, pro wrestling, the psychology of sports, the financial aspect, and the things that generally I find myself most intrigued by are the things that I'm going to share with you guys. And you'll get to hear my perspective on that once a week for about an hour. I mean, I'm never somebody that's going to overstay my welcome. Uh, Whether that be you inviting me to your home or you downloading my podcast, I'm not going to make it something that lasts three hours where I'm just rambling on for no good goddamn reason. It'll be something that uh, I think is economical and something that I will always intend to be entertaining at the end of the day. So I hope that you find it to be that. I hope that I can provide that for you, a different outlet to hear something that may be different or more up your alley as far as what you want in a sports podcast. Without any further ado, let's get into our very first topic. Now, I know a lot of you may be thinking out there, well, haven't we had this conversation a million times? The answer to that is yes, but the NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament, reignited a spark in my mind. Okay, so I'm thinking about UCF as I'm watching this tournament go along, and obviously college football not set up in the same way that college basketball is, where you've got essentially 64, 68 teams that are allowed in the tournament. That means you've got schools coming from conferences that none of you have ever heard of, coming from the Missouri Valley Conference, coming from wherever the hell UMBC came from, that are able to at least test their might, test their mettle on the court, on their version of the field, in uh, a playoff-type setting. Now, when you see this happen, where you've got, quote-unquote, lesser talent going up against the big boys, going up against those big-time schools like the Virginias, like the Arizonas, like the UNCs of the world, we expect to see them crumble, right? That's what the committee would tell you, that that's exactly what's going to happen, except we know that that's not the case because you watch college basketball for the last four days, the last five days, whatever. And that's not what happened. UMBC beats Virginia. Buffalo. Who? Buffalo beats Arizona. All anybody could tell me is that DeAndre Ayton, he's an NBA talent. He's going to be the first pick in the draft. Yet that guy can't overcome Buffalo. Okay? So let's go back to UCF for a second. What does this mean for UCF? 
This means that their claim to be national champion has never been more validated than if you're watching the NCAA tournament. Their claim to be national champion is what? Essentially them saying, we're the best team in college football. And how can anybody legitimately dispute that when you've watched college basketball and you've seen these teams that are called the best? I mean, Virginia wasn't just number one in their region. They were number one in the country heading into the NCAA tournament. And what happens? They get ousted by a 16 seed. They didn't win it on the court. You don't just hand people championships. You have to actually earn them. Now, in this situation, in this setup that we have right now in college football, that's exactly what you do. You hand four teams an invitation to a college football playoff, and then you say, battle it out. And we're going to say that one of you is the national champion of the sport when that's inaccurate. But, but that's beside the point. You say these are the four teams. That's a committee of people that don't know sports any better than you and I do. They're the ones deciding who the champion is. The champion is not decided on the field. So if UCF wants to stake their claim and say, we're the best team in college football, how can anybody legitimately dispute that? When we're watching college basketball and the teams that we were told from the beginning are the best teams in the sport, can't even get out of the damn first round. And it all comes back to this. Danny White says, we're national champions. Fans backed him up, said, yes, you're right, Danny. We're the national champions. And it's all just phrasing, right? That's, that's the polarizing term that gets UCF all the mentions, the impressions that they've had on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. It's incredible how viral that movement went and why did it go viral? It went viral because of the phrasing, national champions. Well, you're not the national champions. How dare you say that? Well, essentially all UCF is saying is we're the best team. But if they went out and put a foam finger on and said, we're number one, nobody would give a damn. But because UCF puts their balls on the table and says, we're the national champion of college football, it gets everybody all riled up to the point where now Alabama's athletic director tweeted out something when Alabama's women's basketball team beat UCF in the NIT their athletic director takes a, a shot at UCF. Well, we're not going to have a Disney parade. Great. Keep talking about them. Go ahead and keep talking about them. Kirk Herbstreet, who said, well, you know, I wish UCF would just stop trumpeting this national championship stuff. It's hurting their brand. No, every time you and your brethren, Kurt, you tweet about UCF, you're helping their brand because that's exactly what they did. They branded themselves the best team in college football. And if you're watching the NCAA tournament and you see that maybe committees and people who make up rankings aren't always right, the best teams, according to the experts, don't always win, then your claim at a national championship just became a whole lot more legitimate. Other stuff. Don't be that guy. Now look, I don't claim to be any kind of a life expert, but I guess my point would be this. Neither are you. And haven't you noticed that it's usually your friends on social media whose lives are the biggest mess who do this the most? I'm talking about inspirational quote guy. Now you know who I'm talking about. And if you don't, it's probably you. Inspirational quote guy thinks he's some combination of Gandhi, The Rock, and Richard Simmons in their prime all rolled into one. Who are you kidding? 
The answer is likely nobody. Sure, your post gets anywhere from 15 to 75 likes, but that's only because people that like it like the general concept of what you're posting, not the fact that it's coming from you. Because whether you like it or not, and whether you realize it or not, you are not one of the great philosophers of the 21st century. Let's get back to sports. Sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. The New York Jets shook up the top of the NFL draft this past weekend, completing a blockbuster trade with the Indianapolis Colts that puts them in better position to select a potential franchise quarterback. At least that's what we all assume they're going to do. The Jets moved up three spots to number three. They were sitting at number six, and they moved two second-round picks this year, number 37 and 49, and their second-rounder in the 2019 draft, to the Indianapolis Colts. So they move up to three, and the Colts then slot back to number six. We'll start with the New York Jets because it's their folly that has the national media freaking out. Is it bad? Yes, and for this reason. The New York Jets have clearly identified that we want to draft a quarterback. And if you've decided that you want to draft a quarterback to move up three spots from six to three, if this is the final move that they make, To move up three spots only guarantees you possibly the last guy on your list if you have a list of three. So you would have to tell me as a general manager or a scout for the Jets that you've decided that Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen are all the same guy and that you don't actually care which guy you get. Now that's not exactly a proposal I'm willing to walk into my boss's office with. Uh, yeah, boss, no, we're just good with anybody that falls uh, our way. So we just thought we'd land somebody. Well, that, that's a terrible pitch. Now, it is possible that they feel that way. But again, if that's the end game, to me, that feels like an error. And it feels very Jet-like, right? Well, here's the other side of it. Is that at least they moved up. At least they moved up to get a guy. You already signed Teddy Bridgewater in the offseason. Josh McCown's still there for whatever that's worth. And it's not much. Though he had a good year last year. You moved up, and at least you're identifying that we're going to get a guy. And maybe maybe this is a year, much like we thought, and again, it didn't work out. But with the year that Peyton Manning came out, it was thought that there are two quarterbacks. you got to get one of the two, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. Or you want to go to a more successful year, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Well, maybe this year, and we don't often see this, maybe there are three quarterbacks. Maybe there are three guys that every NFL scout has identified as, no, these guys are all going to be really, really good. And I got to tell you, from me and my perspective, I can see that. It's possible. But again, I'm not walking into my boss's office saying, hey, I think I figured it out. We'll just take whoever's available. That just doesn't sound like a sound strategy. But again, we're talking about the New York Jets. So the deal, I mean, they, they sent uh, over uh, two second round picks for this year and a second rounder next year. I'm going to let them slide on the second rounder next year. And again, this is where, if this is the case, where you got three quarterbacks that are really that damn good, giving up two second rounders to move up to a spot that guarantees you you're going to draft one of those players is really not that bad. It's really not. It looks stupid because it's the Jets, but if the Patriots did this, we'd all be falling over ourselves wanting to give Bill Belichick drafter of the year awards. I guarantee it. The other side of this deal is, of course, the Indianapolis Colts. Because they walk away. There's no debate here. We can debate whether or not what the Jets did was dumb. I think that it's only dumb because 
of exactly what I said. The fact that they don't really know who their guy is going to be. They traded up in the draft and have no clue who they're drafting. So that on the surface just sounds stupid, but at least they're going to get a guy. So there's a debate there. With the Colts, there's no debate. There is no debate as to whether or not what they did is smart. It is brilliant. They moved from three to six, and they're probably going to get the same guy that they wanted to draft at three anyway because they need to beef up that defense. They've got offensive firepower, and yes, they could use some help in that regard as well with Andrew Luck coming back, but as far as what they need, they need guys on defense that can actually stop somebody because they don't have any of that. So they look at, okay, we might get Bradley Chubb, defensive end, out of NC State, or we may get Minka Fitzpatrick, defensive back out of Alabama, and they would have been over the moon with one of those two players. Well, at six, I guarantee you you're getting one of them because I can tell you the top four picks are going to be in whatever order. You've got three quarterbacks in Allen, Rosen, and Darnold. You've got Saquon Barkley, and then you're going to have some combination of Minka Fitzpatrick, and, uh, and Bradley Chubb, and then maybe somebody else gets thrown in there to where you actually have an option sitting there as to who it is you want to pick. You know, you've got the guard out of Notre Dame that's getting all of this attention that he's going to be a top-five guy, that he's the most surefire player in the draft in, uh, in Quentin Nelson. So maybe he's a guy that goes up towards the top five. And then, boom, again, the Colts are going to be sitting pretty. I guarantee you Fitzpatrick or Chubb are going to be sitting there, and they get to make that choice. And that is terrific if you're the Indianapolis Colts. And then, again, you get 37, pick 37, and pick 49. And we'll get to next year's draft in that second rounder when next year comes. But it's nice to have that in your back pocket if you're Indianapolis. Now all they have to do is not screw it up. So that's going to be the key for the Indianapolis Colts. But, you know, one thing that I was looking at in the NFL draft and going back over the years, and I always like to study trends. Okay, what it is? what is it that I'm seeing? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That NFL teams where they are succeeding, where they're failing, where does it work? Where does it not I look back the last couple of years and specifically I'm going to focus on last season one thing that I noticed with the NFL draft and GMs and scouts that are out there is they're starting to really get it they're starting to get it right and they're starting to get it right often more often than they're not go back to last year last year's draft last year's draft you had the Cleveland Browns picking first. They have my, I'll just go down the list of the guys that were drafted rather than boring you and inundating you with what teams they went to. Most of you, if you're listening to this, probably know what teams these guys are on. Miles Garrett, Mitch Trubisky, Solomon Thomas, Leonard Fournette, Corey Davis, Jamal Adams, Mike Williams, Christian McCaffrey, John Ross, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, that rounds out your top ten. Now, are there hits everywhere? No, there are not. John Ross uh, has had a hard time getting on the field. Same thing goes with Corey Davis, though he's looked all right, went out there. Maybe not worthy of a number five overall pick, but I thought it was crazy when it happened to begin with. Uh, Jamal Adams has been a complete stud for the New York Jets. He is the future of that defense. Patrick Mahomes, 
We haven't seen a lot of him, but I mean, he's set up for success right now. And the guy, when we saw him in a very short period of time, he looks like the real deal. Now he's got Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, and with that arm, he can throw the ball down the field. There's no question about it. That's going to be a scary offense to stop. Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey was one of the best rookies, period, and one of the best uh, rookie running backs that uh, catch the ball out of the backfield that I've ever seen in his first year. Leonard Fournette, he was outstanding. I don't need to tell you guys about him. Solomon Thomas was solid. Mitch Trubisky did not have a great year. He did not have a great year, but I, I think it's easy to say that he's a guy that looks like the Bears probably feel pretty comfortable in that position, at least evaluating that for about the next four years. Much like the Jags you know, felt like they had something in Blake Bortles. But they weren't completely sold on it, so you're going to have to let it matriculate. you got to let it build. You've got to let it percolate there in your system. Mitch Trubisky looks to have something. But again, my point is that we're not swinging and missing here. Miles Garrett is a complete stud as well. And that's just the top ten. I'll just go ahead and rattle off some other names that went in the first round. Marshawn Lattimore went 11. Deshaun Watson went 12. Hassan Reddick went 13 to the Arizona Cardinals. Derek Barnett Malik Hooker, Marlon Humphrey, Jonathan Allen, Adoree Jackson. If there's one thing you've noticed about the majority of the names, I'm talking about at least 75% of the names that I just listed off, is that they were all impact players in year one. GMs and scouts are starting to figure this thing out. And the NFL draft is becoming a whole lot less a gas station where you buy a lottery ticket and a lot more of a bargain bin where you can get guys at a really good price. Just look at the amount of money that these rookies are getting in the sliding scale of the first round. And it's not so much about just getting a guy, closing your eyes and hoping and praying that it works out. Now it's about getting a guy at a position where you don't have to pay him a ton of money, where you can save bukus of bucks and then uh, spend and allocate your money elsewhere so that you can build a successful roster. You know, you look at the Seattle Seahawks and the way that they were built with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was cheap. I mean, he was drafted in the third round. So he was getting paid practically nothing. And so you're able to pay that defense. You know, one thing about uh, Blake Bortles and one of the reasons the Jags decided to bring him back and they brought him back for a pretty cheap price for a quarterback is because they look and say, one of the reasons we were able to succeed is that we had a rookie that we drafted in the first round. We don't have to totally overpay for Leonard Fournette in the way that we would if he were a free agent. And you look at the defense, that's where your team is built. You can, you can only spend so much money in the NFL. You've got to allocate your money to certain places. Well, that's what these teams are figuring out. And that's why guys, like their teams like the Jets uh, or whoever else is willing to trade up and say, I'm giving, I'm mortgaging my future. The Houston Texans did this with Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs did it to get Patrick Mahomes. Because if you get a quarterback, especially for that cheap a price, you can build a much better roster around that guy. And that leaves your window for a Super Bowl open a lot longer. I give you your Super Bowl champions. They're the best example of this. Carson Wentz gets paid. He was the second pick in the draft, $26 million over the course of four years. That's nothing for a quarterback. Actually, annually, that's less than what Nick Foles was getting paid, and he was the backup. Now, I know he's the guy that won the Super Bowl for him, but the backup on an annual basis, getting paid more 
than Carson Wentz. That gives you so much room to spend money elsewhere, which is what the Eagles did, and were able to build this juggernaut of a roster. You know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, the same year Carson Wentz was drafted, $24 million over the course of four years of his contract. That's $6 million a year. Or that's, yeah, that's less than 50% of what Le'Veon Bell would be getting on the franchise tag. I mean, that's invaluable to get a guy that good for that cheap. And it just seems like the last few years, again, I'll go back to the first four picks of 2016, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, all complete studs in the NFL. Last year, Miles Garrett, Leonard Fournette, Jamal Adams, Marshawn Lattimore, Deshaun Watson, Malik Hooker, uh, Jamal Adams. I mean, these guys were absolute impact players on their rosters year one and helped their teams get into position where if healthy and if everybody else is playing well, you're in a position to succeed because of the impact player that you drafted inside of the first round. Awkward interview transition. Sitting here with Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com, the best mock drafts in the business. All right, I want to start with this. Traquan Smith is a big physical wide receiver. I think he's going to be a great pro. Where do you have him going in the NFL draft? I have him going uh, in the mid rounds. I, I think he could. It, there's a huge group of receivers for the middle of the draft. Be you know a, a pick your flavor kind of thing, team by team, going by scheme fits and the kind of receivers that they need and are looking to get. Um, so there's just so many receivers uh, that are worthy of going in that third, fourth round, uh, and some are going to fall into the fifth and sixth just because of the quantity. So I think he's going to be in that group, uh, and it's just going to really come down to the team and what they're looking to get and the kind of receiver they want. You know, maybe I'm looking at this through garnet and gold glasses here, but Derwin James to me is a special football player uh, coming out of Florida State. And when I look at mock drafts, I see him going anywhere from pick 10 to all the way down to the back end of the first round. Why is that? Is that because of, I almost look at him, maybe he's falling into a Jabril Peppers mode where he can do so many different things that it actually hurts him because he's not a specialist at any one particular thing. Is that what it is, or is there something that I'm missing on James, who's still going to go in the first round, but I think going to go a lot later than maybe his talent would tell you? Yeah, you know, it's a good question, and I, I agree with you. I think he is uh, being undervalued and kind of sold short um, in the media. I know from speaking with teams uh, during the fall, he was viewed – as one of the elite and special players and athletes in this draft class. Uh, and I think you saw that at the combine with how well he ran and moved at his height and weight. Uh, and then the physicality of strength that this guy plays with is just off the charts. So I think that he'll, he'll continue to rise. I think part of the reason why his, uh, the, the media hype maybe has sold him short is in part because he missed his, basically all of his sophomore year, so you didn't have that kind of year of hype that so much, so many you know star sophomores kind of build off. Whether it's like uh, Miles Garrett or Clowney or Joey Bosa, and those guys all kind of fell back in the junior year, um, but the sophomore year was so outstanding it kind of carried over. So. Uh, I think that has hurt Derwin a little bit, but 
I expect him to go in the top 16 in the draft. I know some teams that are picking in the middle of the first round that would love it if he would get to them, but they aren't optimistic that that's going to happen. I want to go back to Shaquem Griffin for a moment. We had the debate earlier in the week of just how much his stock has grown since the combine, and I contend that no one's stock ever jumps up three rounds because of a combine visit. What is the most you've ever seen a player jump up as far as their overall stock, whether that be stock in the media or stock certainly with NFL scouts, where a guy has gone to the combine and moved himself up more than a round or two? Has that ever happened, and and who is it? Uh, No, I've never heard of it happening more than a round. Uh, I think a round is is still a a big jump, but I've never heard of a player – going from, say, a a fourth-round pick all the way up to, you know, a second-round pick or in contention for the first round or anything like that. So, um, but, you know, players going up around that, that, you know, usually you have a handful of guys each year uh, that go up or down around uh, in the combine and pre-draft visit process. And some of that stuff are things that we don't see uh, outside of teams, and that's in the meeting room. And you have guys who really bomb in the meeting room and guys who really uh, cause the coaches to fall in love and, you know, the, the teams really start valuing the player higher because of the coach's influence. So uh, even though, you know, the, a lot of the activities are done for these players, there still could be some shuffling around just because the coaches are going to get involved and their opinion can shake up draft boards. Which team between these two inside the state of Florida do you think would be more likely to draft a quarterback in the first round? The Jags pick at 29. They locked up Bortles, but given his contract, they could certainly take somebody at the back end of the first round if they feel like the price is right. And the Dolphins at 11, who have Ryan Tannehill and are committed to him for next year, but are probably looking to move off as far as a long term. Of those two teams, which one do you think you'd be less surprised by if they were to draft a quarterback? I would say Miami. I think just given uh, the the changing they've had there in terms of the coaching staff and front office, this wasn't, you know, this isn't the GM and coach that uh, made Ryan Tannehill their guy and their first round pick back in 2012. Uh, Gase never picked him. So, and given the contract and the ability to get out of it, where they're picking in the draft, they, they're going to have some quarterbacks get to them, uh, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson or maybe one of the other three has a slide, as we've seen quarterbacks can have slides in the draft too. So uh, I think Miami is just more in that position. I think Jacksonville, if they were picking higher, uh, it would be a consideration, but I think where they're picking in the first round, being so late from going to the AFC championship game, it's unlikely that any of the five first-round caliber quarterbacks are going to get there. Well, that does it. That's episode one of the Kravitz Podcast. Next episode drops next week. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and the iHeartRadio page will be up any day now. Follow me along on Twitter as well. It's at Brandon Kravitz. Until next time, guys.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.